Good morning, church. Morning. Well, I'm Pastor John Feek. We have an exciting day in store. We are finishing up our series, Faith Works in James. And some of you are like, why is that exciting? Because we got some things ahead in the months ahead, the rest of the year. I'm pretty fired up about all of the series that are underway. And so I'm finishing up our, our next series. We're going to be looking at a six-part series about the promises of God and the fact that we, we don't trust in God's promises because we're carrying so much with us. So we're going to be calling it summer baggage. Any, anybody got a lot of baggage? Carrying baggage. We carry with, uh, with us through our lives all kinds of baggage from the past, all kinds of things that we have believed, all kinds of people and circumstances we've trusted in. And we need a reminder as we finish off the summer that we can have confidence in God's promises. They never fail and they apply right to the areas of struggle that we face. So I'm excited about the next series. So get the, get the word out. Pretty fired up about summer baggage for August. And so today, James chapter 5. James chapter 5. If you don't have a copy of God's word, you should have uh, a copy there in the row. If you want to take that home with you, you can have that. We're going to be reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version. And as we wrap up James 5, we're looking at verses 13 through 20. And here's our title, Prayer Warriors on Hot Pursuit. All right, Prayer Warriors on Hot Pursuit. We're going to be looking at a whole lot as James wraps up this letter. And as he does, He's going to be majoring on some things, and especially for God's church to be a church that loves to pray, is desperate to pray, that has a thriving relationship where we call on Him in our time of trouble. We call on Him in our time of crisis. We watch Him answer. We watch Him move. And the other part is we are praying for those that are wandering, those that are straying, and we're on hot pursuit to pursue those that maybe used to be with us, that used to once profess Christ, and now have either gone into the ditch, have wandered away, and God says, don't just be praying for people, be prayerful as you pursue them, because the answer to the prayer is you. That as you see those that are struggling, as you see those that are going wayward, that God wants to not just have us get on our knees and pray, but to pray and go. And we're going to be looking at that this morning as we see prayer warriors, prayer warriors on hot pursuit. James 5, five questions, and James is going to start off with this. He's going to start off with three groups in the church, okay? So would you do me a favor? As we're going through these final verses in the book of James, would you just be asking the question, is that me? Is that me? Is that, is that the season I'm in? Is that where I find myself? Is James describing me? And if so, would you just lean in to what God is saying and just open your ears and say, God, speak. Speak. I'm, I'm listening. I want you to address me right where I'm at and help me in my time of need. Three groups. Here's the first group. James is going to start off with this. The hurting. The hurting. Those that are hurting. Those that are suffering. If you're taking notes, number one, are you suffering? Are you suffering? Maybe it's you. Maybe it's someone that's close to you is in a season of maybe a terminal illness, maybe a lifelong illness. Maybe it's mental, physical. 
Emotional suffering. Suffering. Here's the question that James poses. Verse 13. Is, is anyone among you suffering? Is anyone among you suffering? Let him do what? You got it? You got it there? Let him pray. Let him pray. If you are hurting, if you are suffering, pray, pray, pray. He says, God is inviting you to come to the throne in your time of need. Does anybody struggle with uh, maybe, maybe going right away to God in your time of need? I'm struggling here. I'm hurting here. I'm suffering here. And for some of us, prayer is like the last ditch effort, right? If all else fails, if I can't fix it, I can't work my way through this, then maybe, just maybe, I guess all there's left to do now is what? Pray. I got all that there's left to do. Have you ever said that? Well, I guess all we can do now, hear this. James is like, first, 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 pray first. Everybody say first. First, I do it right away. I start off with prayer. I, it's not a, a last thing. It's not an afterthought. It's immediately, I found out someone's suffering. I am hurting. I'm suffering. I got the news. This thing isn't going away. What do I do? I pray. I pray. I pray. I pray. I do it right away. I do it consistently. I perpetually pray my way through the suffering. James is like, this is the answer. This is the cure. But think about it. What's prayer all about? I, I jotted this down. When you pray, you recognize the sovereignty of God. He's the boss. He's in control. When you pray, you recognize the presence of God, that He is here and He is with you. When you pray, you recognize the power of God, that He is bigger than whatever ails you. When you pray, you recognize that God's love, mercy, and grace is yours. And it's just a phone call away, if we could say it that way. We can pray. And when you pray, you're not only seeking God's help, you're actually warring for your own soul. I mean, consider this. When you're suffering, what are you prone to do? Are you prone to listen to, to God's voice that is bringing calm and bringing peace? Or for some of us, we have a temptation that immediately we hear whispers from the enemy. And what happens? What happens? We listen pretty intently to, well, where's God now? Well, I thought, I thought you were a follower of Jesus. I, I didn't think you were supposed to go through stuff like this. What? God's abandoned you. He's, he's not going to be your help. You need to figure it out on your own. Have you been there? In a dark hour, the whispers of the enemy, and he says, pray, pray. And our prayer is not a gentle prayer. It's not a quiet prayer. Always. Sometimes we're going to war. I don't know if you got a glimpse of the video that we played at the beginning of the service, but prayer is war. I am battling for my soul. I have Satan after me wanting me to doubt and to reject and to ignore and to question the God who is over all and in the midst of my suffering. And he wants to flip it around that God is the enemy, that God is the problem. Do you, do you pray? Do you pray? And we're not going to pray to a God that we don't know has a whole slew of promises for us, that he's committed to us. We should do a series on the promises of God, shouldn't we? Is that a good idea? That's a great idea. Next week, I don't know where you're going to be. I'm going to be right here, and I hope you are too, with all of your best friends. We're going to be talking about what are the promises of God in my greatest times of need? What is God's truth as the hope and the help for me right 
now in the midst of it, we're going there with our summer baggage series. Promises of God. This is so, so powerful. Someone that you can't see, someone that you can't hear, you can't touch, you are to have full confidence in. You are to talk to regularly. Everybody say that's hard. That's hard, right? Anytime that you have a desire to pray to a God that you cannot see, God is invisible, right? You, you can't see him. Anytime you have longings, anytime that you are prompted to pray, I just want you to pause and go, this is a miracle. This is a miracle. Because Satan, just what you see and what you know and what you can hold on to, that's the answers. That's where it's at. And the fact that the Holy Spirit would say, call out to me. I'm here. I'm near. I'm here to help you. I'm for you. Cry out. Anytime you say, yes, yes, I'm gonna, I need to stop and pray right now. I need to get low before the Lord. Know that a miracle is happening in you. Because the things that are natural are, I will fix it. I'll get through this. I'm strong enough. I can do it. And the reality is, you can't. You can't. Let him pray, he says. Anyone suffering? Let him pray. Let him pray. Do you know that there's a second group that James is about to address? He says, well, how about this? Maybe you're not suffering. Maybe you're not suffering. Maybe you're not going through the hard stuff of life right now. Maybe this is a season of joy, of happiness. He addresses a second group of, we'll call them just the happy, the happy. For some of us, we are in a season right now where we're seeing God's goodness and we are being helped and we're being encouraged and God's supplying and feel like we're growing and we're making progress. And here's what James has to say for us. With this group, if this is you, if you're taking notes, write this down. Are you cheerful? Are you cheerful? Are you cheerful? He says, is anyone cheerful? Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Let him sing praise. Why, why do we need to be reminded to be thankful and to sing and to praise when the good is coming our way. Why do you think that is? Why do you think James? Because when it's bad, we might cry out for help. When it's good, I got, I got this now. I'm good. I'm comfortable. I got what I need. I can coast my way through. James says, no, 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 no. Turn to your neighbor. Let him know. No, 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 no. You can wag the finger. Okay? Let him know. No, 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 no. Do, do not do that. Do not fall asleep on God. Do not coast your way through and put it on cruise control when finally things are going my way. Finally, kind of getting what I want and the life that I've dreamed of and now I can sit back and relax. And James says, who got you here? Have you forgotten? Who's the one providing for all of this? Did you do this yourself? James says, why is it that when prayers are answered, the giver is rarely thanked? Why is it that ten were healed? If you recall a certain story of Jesus healing ten lepers on the pathway to death and suffering, he heals them all. How many come back? How's that for a ratio? Do you think that James maybe has that in mind of going, church, church, God's people? Do we, do we have a one in 10? Are, are we at about a 10% ratio of, oh yeah, I guess that was God. Oh yeah, I, I, I guess God did all of that. I, I guess that really was him. I forgot 
because I thought I did it myself. I thought it was my hard work. I thought I'd provide for me. I thought I was self-sufficient. James says, no, if you are happy, if you are cheerful, you better be praising, worshiping, singing. We don't naturally turn to God in these moments. If ever in this fallen world you have a reason to be cheerful, you're experiencing the grace of God. Do you believe that? In a fallen, dark world, if there's ever moments of, oh, this is so good. This is grace. God, thank you. Thank you. This is you. I, I didn't do this. I couldn't do this. It's all of you. You're worthy of all credit, of all praise. It's God. It's God. It's God who provides for us. It's God who, who defends us. It's all God. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Do you remember that from James 1? We read earlier in chapter 1, James 1, 17. Every good gift. Where does it come from? It comes from God himself. God's hand. God's goodness. God's grace to us. There is never a day when we don't experience restraining grace in ways that make our lives livable, easier, and doable. He holds back the darkness for us. Why? There's one reason, and it's not because we deserve it. We don't deserve any of it. There's only one reason. Our God is a God of amazing grace, and he graces you every day. The problem is we don't see it. The problem is we don't acknowledge him in all our ways. The problem is we don't give thanks. And so just for us to pause and ask, are you thankful? Are you thankful? Not in a way of feeling guilted and pressured, but legitimately to step back and recognize I have so much to be grateful for. I have so much every single day. The things I take for granted. What if we started living as God's people every day and just recognizing in all the small things, all the little things, God, that's you. God, that, that, that was you. There's only one explanation. You're doing this. You are doing it all because you're for me. You are, you are good. And, and what if you got into a pattern of just saying that out loud? Just as you're walking through your house in the morning, you're like, ah, running water. <laughs> Thank you, God, right? Plug, wall, receptacle, electricity. Ah! Thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. You're doing all of this. You're making all of this work. You're the one that provided all of the wisdom for every modern marvel that we have. And we're like, it's not hot enough, not cold enough, not enough pressure. I don't have enough outlets. What's the deal? I need a bigger, better. And God's like, what's going on in your heart that you would not just cry out in praise that God is so good? I mean, just even this. Let's just breathe in. Big breath. Blow out. Just every moment. How is it that my heart's beating? How is it that my lungs are working? How is it that I can take another breath? Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Do you know, what, do you know what's different about God's people? They don't take things for granted. They recognize that the giver is worthy of credit and glory and honor. That's why we sing. That's why we gather and we shout at the top of our voices and we sing praise to God. Why? Because he's worthy. He's worthy because he's so good to us. Are you cheerful? Are you cheerful? Oh, sing praise. Sing praise. Sing praise. Radically embrace the goodness and nowness of God. He is good and he's here right 
now and he is for you. But we have a, a third, we have a third category. He says some people they're they're suffering from different things. Some are in a season of maybe reaping and, and God's goodness pouring out on them. And he says, here, here's a third category. Here we go. Are you sick? Are you sick? Verses 14 through 16. Are you sick? He says, is anyone sick? Is anyone sick? Let him call for the, the elders, the pastors of the church. Let them pray over him or her. Anointing, right? Anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. It's not the oil. It's the Lord, right? That brings healing, that hears prayers. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, everybody say therefore. Here it is. Therefore, because of all these things, confess your sins to one another. Hey, there's another one another. Some of us are studying some one another's of Scripture, right? Sunday mornings. I don't know what you're doing, but coffee, donuts, breakfast, goodness, fellowship hall, nine o'clock, you're so there. You're so there. Going through the one another's. Here's a one another. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. There's another one. That you may be healed. That you may be healed. I don't know if you have this in your notes, but I would jot this down. Your walk with God is a community project. Your walk with God is a community project. Nobody can do the Christian life alone. We don't do it alone. We don't do it in isolation. We don't just try to, well, I'm just trying to walk with God, just Jesus and I. I'm just trying to figure it out, just trying to make sense of this. It's a very personal thing. My, my faith is very personal. It's very private. The Scriptures know of no faith like that. The only type of real faith, the only type of true faith is a faith together. Together. Because change, transformation, it's a community project. You're walking with God, we do it together. Do you, do you see all these one another's? Do you see this rallying of God's people together? He says, are you sick? Are you sick? He says, we, we call for leaders we call for prayer. We call for anointing with oil. We, we pray by faith. And we confess sin. Guess what? You can't do any of this alone. And so I, I don't know how prone some of us are, but I think the temptation is great. Living in America today, now more than ever in the history of the world, is, well, I found out there's a problem with one of the kids, with me, grandkids, with our family. Well, can we pray for you? No, we'll just, we'll figure it out. We'll, doctor, and we'll, we'll just. When is the last time that we said, why don't we do this together? Why don't we actually call for a time to pray, to come together and actually be there for each other and to trust, actually, God is bigger than any modern medicine and God is bigger than anything that doctors or nurses can offer. And God is bigger and we're confident we have a phone line to him. And we're confident that together we can do this. We can't do this alone. We don't do it apart. We do it, we do it together. Turn to your neighbor and say, we do it together. We do it together. We do it together. And James is so fired up about this. He's like, start making phone calls. We, we need to get together. We need to live this out. The elders came anointing with oil. There's no magic in the oil. Okay, so can we clarify that? There's no magical oil. 
well, yeah, but there was this one time that I know someone. No, no, no. There, there's nothing, nothing unique, nothing special about the oil. In fact, I would say many believe, many commentators believe that living in this day under great persecution, do you remember Pastor James, half-brother of Jesus, in Jerusalem, they're under great persecution, they're running for their lives, and some of the people that are suffering, that are hurting, is because of the persecution that they're experiencing. What kind of medicine 2,000 years ago would you apply to any kind of open wounds or try to bring some kind of cleansing or healing is you would use oil. You would use oil as a, for a medicinal purpose. So many would say, well, not only, but maybe in part, uh, they were running a, a hospital, a makeshift hospital as a church and in homes. And they're saying, you know, Freddie got, got attacked again and he's bleeding and, and Susie is now, like she got stoned and, and we don't know if she's going to make it, right? And we need to bring them in and we need to take care of them. He's like, I don't know what condition you find yourself in, but if you are hurting, there is no magic oil, there is no potion, but there is a God that calls the church to rally together and to be there for each other and to help. And he says there's power in prayer. There's power to, to heal. Why, why does he bring up confessing sin? Did that seem odd to you? We're reading through this and we're talking about people that have sickness and then all of a sudden, well, confess your sin. And it's like, so am I sick because I sinned? Am I being punished? Well, could we, could we say this? That there are occasions where correction from our good father may look like sickness. It may look like things rising up in us or in our home that God's not punishing, but that he's correcting, that there is attention getting from our God that came from a place of sin, rebellion. I, I was uh, maybe what they would call a, a prodigal. I was not a believer, but I was running away from the church for sure. Any kind of Christianity that I was exposed to, I was running away. And I know that as my mom and others were praying, because that's all they knew how to do. I don't know if they had prayed before, but then they had me and they, they learned how to pray, okay? And you think to yourself, how does God answer prayer sometimes? Well, from the runner, from the, from the prodigal, from the one rebelling and shaking their fist at God, sometimes God does whatever it takes to get their attention. God, God did some damage in my life to bring me to himself. So I know some people are, we want to tiptoe around the fact that like, well, a good God would never cause any kind of harm. It was the goodness and the grace of God to hurt me, to bring me to himself because I wasn't coming any other way. And we're going to get to the end of the, the book and we're going to find out that may not be too far from what James is trying to emphasize here. So are you sick? Are you sick? He says, the prayer of faith will save the one, will we'll bring to life, right? We're not talking about salvation. We're talking about restoration of the sick. And, and could I say this? I, I just jotted this down to make sure. It says the Lord will raise him up. Will, will, will. Do we believe? Do we believe that all believers will be ultimately healed? Do we believe all believers will ultimately be raised up? It's not a trick question. 
do we believe in forever? Do we believe in eternity? Do we believe in a place called heaven where all believers will live forever? Is there any more pain? Is there any more sickness? Is there any more hurting? So could we say this? We pray for healing in the here and now with a confidence that there will be, everybody say there will be, there will be restoration, there will be healing someday guaranteed. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? No matter how long the suffering, no matter what isn't healed in the here and now, it will be. It will be. And the stories of believers that I've been able to interact with that are living with horrific diseases in it, living through horrific accidents that have a joy that they can't wait until that day because healing is coming and they know it. And it may not come in the here and now, but they know forever is going to be awesome and they are going to be whole and they are never going to hurt again. So in your darkest hour, and to those that you love, we have hope. We don't have guarantees in the here and now that there is going to be absolute miraculous healing. But God does that. Lift up your voice and say, God does that. He does. He does. He heals. He heals. He heals. And he will heal all. Everybody say that's good news. That's such good news. That's such good news. Here we go. We have Ephesians 4, 16. I I just want to have you jot this down. The body of Christ reaches full maturity in Christ. We all grow up together as a church as every joint and ligament does its part. We do this together. We pray with each other, for each other. We serve and minister to each other. We are able to confess our sins to each other and serve each other in that way. We are all priests in that way that we are able to help people in their time of need where they're stuck in sin, where they are physically in need of prayer. Okay, bro, come here. You want to hop up quick? Hop up. You can, you can stand on the, on the pew just this once, okay? Because it's, it's just not right to stand on pews, right? Right, right. Whatever. So consider if you've ever been in a, in a place, if you've ever been in a place where you are exhausted, you're sick, and maybe you've been living in sin, wandering and rebelling, and he's saying, together, this is what we do. We pray for each other, and the imagery would be, I need to piggyback on somebody that's stronger than me right now. Somebody that's walking with the Lord that has strength because I don't have any. Someone that is healthy because right now I am not. And I need somebody, not forever, but for a little while, just to to carry me through this season. Because have you ever been to a place where I'm just done? I'm just giving up. I can't. I can't anymore. And how beautiful is it that the body of Christ coming together says, hey, Hop on. It's time for a piggyback ride. Because next time, I'm probably going to need it. Because next time, I'm going to be on your back. But right now, I need somebody to carry me. I can't do it alone. And maybe you're in that season right now. where You're just trying to white-knuckle it. Just trying to get through and press on. And I got this. I got this. I got this. And God says, no, we got this together that we serve and we help and we care but if we don't know we can't carry the load and so we open our mouths and we confess things and we share things 
We don't gossip and slander. We get on our knees. We get on each other's backs for a season. We carry each other through. That's what we do. That's what we do. If you are sick, if you are weary, if you are ready to give up, but I get to choose. I get to choose which way I'm going to go. Am I going to quit when it gets hard? Am I going to accuse God? Or am I going to do it God's way? I get to choose. Everybody say, I choose. And I hope you choose a new way. I hope you choose a way of pressing in to the family of God. You press into the church. It's a new way of life with Jesus and his people. And Mark Dever said this, just thinking about the new life, living this new life, because it's new. It's different. He says this, do you, do you want to know that your new life is real? That this, this Christian life that you're living, that it's authentic? Mark Dever asks, commit yourself to a local group of saved sinners. And oh, are they sinners. Oh, oh, oh church people. All right, try to love them. Try to love them. Don't just do it for three weeks. Don't just do it for six months. He says this, do it for years. And I think you'll find out, and others will too, whether or not you love God. The truth will show itself. The local church is the place where our new life in Christ is to be lived and proven. Joining a church, it won't save you. It's only the death of Christ that saves you. He alone is our righteousness. Amen? He alone. He alone. It's Jesus alone. But if He really is our righteousness, if we really love He who we have not seen, it'll show itself by us loving those that we do see. And he's referencing 1 John 4, 20, right? So God longs for us to be a powerfully praying community of prayer warriors pursuing one another. And that is so uncommon. Nobody's doing this. Nobody's doing this. But how do you pray? How do you pray? We're going we're gonna to finish, finish the last section here. How do we do this? How do we actually do it? it, it it's great to be called to a life of prayer, but how in the world are we supposed to pray? And what does this prayer actually accomplish? And who can be a prayer warrior? Are you ready? Verse 16. Everybody there? The prayer of a righteous person. Do you see that in the second half of verse 16? The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Here we go. He brings up Elijah. Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain and then for three years and six months, guess what happened? It did not rain. You read ahead, didn't you? It didn't rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So he's referring to 1 Kings 17 and 18. Do you want to jot that down? 1 Kings, 1 Kings, 1 Kings 17, chapter 17 through chapter 18. Those two chapters, Elijah, the story of Elijah praying, calling out for a miracle, and God answered, right? Does anybody think that Elijah's viewed as kind of a big deal? Like throughout the history of Israel, of, of the Hebrew people, do you think that Elijah as, as a prophet was kind of like heralded as, like, he's the man, he's the man, look at what he accomplished. He was kind of a big deal. He's kind of a big deal, okay? What is James saying here? Saying, Elijah... He was just like you. What do you think about that? He was just a man. He was no different than you. 
So that means the power lies where? It's not, it's not in special people. There is power in prayer because of the God who's on the receiving end of the prayer that has all power. And whether it's Elijah, James is saying, whether it's Elijah, the great Elijah, the prophet, or whether it's you, right, on, on Tuesday night or Saturday morning in desperate need for a miracle of some kind of breakthrough, of something that needs to be different, and life's not going according to plan, and I don't know how I'm going to get through this. He's saying, remember Elijah? That was awesome. Your turn. Right? He was just a man. He was just a man. So number four, if you're taking notes, are you, are you praying in faith? Are you praying in faith? Are you praying in such a way that you really believe you have the same access as Elijah? Because he's, he's just like me. He's just like me. Every say he's just like me. He's just like me. He's just like me. Same God. Same avenue of communication. Does your trust in Jesus propel you to seek God in your time of trouble and in your time of celebration both? Your time of great need and your time of answered prayer. Are you propelled forward? Are you thrusted forward to run to Jesus? to seek God to either ask or to celebrate and give thanks. Because what? Your walk with God, it's a community project where we're all in this together, running to the same God. It's what brings unity. It's what brings unity. Verses 19 and 20. Everybody say, land the plane. Here we go. Here we go. Verses 19 and 20. My brothers, right? He's saying, Church, my brethren, my brothers and sisters, if anyone among you, here it is, here it is, if anyone among you, right, in the gathering, he's talking to the church, he's talking to Christians, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So number five, are you pursuing the wanderer? Are you pursuing the wanderer? And, and we believe that James is using a little bit of hyperbole here. He, he's, he's exaggerating to make a point. Like, how awesome is it that if you chase after and pursue someone that is running away from God, someone that claimed the name of Jesus, someone that said that they were a Christian, I don't know what the stats are now, but I believe it's uh, up to 78% of all college graduates that grew up in church have completely rejected the church and the faith. So how are we doing church? Regardless of how the wanderer became a wanderer, regardless of how the one became a prodigal, regardless of their backstory, the solution is still the same. And I don't know about you, but I think we're all a little tempted to just say this. We'll be praying for him. We'll be praying for him. Is that what James tells us? <laughs> Could I say this in tongue-in-cheek? Stop praying and start being the answer to prayer. Stop sitting back and hoping somebody else is going to pursue the wanderer because you should be running after them. This is the call of the church. Do you notice that James doesn't say, 
And the elders of the church, the pastors of the church, it's their responsibility to chase after everybody that wanders and strays. He's speaking to the church as a whole. He's saying, brothers, do you not see that? Brothers, sisters, you all, when you see someone straying, when you see someone that is rejecting, when you see somebody saying yes to the world and no to Jesus, you go after them. And he doesn't just say it lightly. He's talking about like this is going to save your soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. He's saying there is great reward, right? There is power in you being the pursuer. Not just a prayer warrior, but a prayer warrior that is hot on pursuit after those that have gone astray. This is shocking and a little scary, right? Because who wants to be the person to say, come back, you're wrong. Come back, you've gone too far, you're not living right. And most of the time to receive the answer, who are you to judge? Who are you to judge? So sick of the stinking judgy church and that's why I left. Are you ready? Are you ready for that? But James says, pursue anyway. Run after them. Go after them. Keep lines of communication open. Three things I think you have in your notes. How would we wander? What are, what are ways that people wander? Here we go. Theologically, people say, well, I still believe, but I, I just, I believe very different things. I don't believe the book of Genesis anymore. I think that whole thing's made up. I really don't believe in the Gospels anymore. Those were proven as wrong. I really don't believe in Revelation because it's all fiction. So what you're saying is you really don't believe in the Bible anymore. Well, yeah, but I, I would because I'm not Buddhist or uh, I'm not Hindu, I guess I would still be a Christian. Well, you've wandered theologically. You've strayed from the faith once and for all laid out by the saints. How about this? Number two, morally. Morally. Maybe they believe the right things, but lifestyle, I think it's okay to. I think it's all right. I don't have a problem with. I'm sick of people saying that that's sin. It's just, it's just free choice to be able to live however you want to and sleep with who you want to and put whatever you want to in your body. I can do me all day long and still I believe that I'm a Christian. I'm fine. Or at least I, I wouldn't not be a Christian. I just don't go to church and I hate Christians and I live like the world, but like, get off my back. Well, the reality is wandering happens not in big decisions, but in little compromises day after day, week after week. And how about this? Number three, how about relationally? Relationally, those that have wandered in their relationships, I, I don't connect with, I don't jive with, I have nothing in common with the church, with Christians, and wandering occurs because I have a new tribe and I got new peeps and I have a new crowd. And do you know that's not just a junior high thing? Do you realize that doesn't just happen in high school? That all throughout our lives, we are going to gravitate towards some kind of community. We're going to identify with, I, I, I line up more with these people than these people. And wandering starts with, I'm starting to identify with those outside of Christianity and my values are lining up with and persuasion comes easy. This isn't just a struggle of youth. This is a struggle our whole lives. But do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you believe that 
you are just as prone to wander as anybody else in this room. I'm just as prone. I think I've shared before the alarming rate at which the authors that I used to have on my shelf of solid biblical teachers, pastors, is slowly whittling down because of the number of leaders, teachers, authors, commentators, theologians that have renounced and rejected the faith. These are mentors of mine over decades. Rock solid, immovable. There's no way that these guys are going anywhere until they do. And do you believe that happened in a moment? Do you believe that was just one decision? It's a slow fade of who are you listening to? Who are you being influenced by? Where are you taking your doubts and your struggles? Are you confessing it within the church or are you hiding it until surprise? We are in a very scary place, not just of what's happening in the church, but what's happening with those that are supposed to be leaders and influencers over the big C church globally and nationally. We're all prone. We're all susceptible. It could be me. It could be me. Lift up your voice and say, it could be me. It could be me. It could be me. At any given point, I I could fade. I could wander. So before we get really critical about those that have walked away, and I would never do that, and I can't believe they... Who's next? If we don't do this church thing, this we thing, this together thing, we are wanderers at heart. We are going to go backwards. We're going to go back to the old instead of moving forward to the new. As the worship team comes up, I just want us to to think about these last points just one more time. And I would love I would love your help. I would love I would love for all of us to get really really honest. I just want to read through the list again because for we're, we're all in the list, right? We're all in one of these categories. At any given time, here we go. Are you suffering? Are you cheerful? Are you sick? Are you praying in faith? Are you pursuing the wanderer? Are you pursuing the wanderer? And I wonder if we would just bow our heads and we would just get honest before God because this is all of us, right? And if it's not us now, it's going to be us soon. And Father, as we, as we get low before you right now, we recognize that we are, we're very distracted thinking about how hot it is in here how amazing lunch is going to be later. God, would you bring our minds and our hearts back to these areas as we finish this letter. The passion of James for the church, for his church, and how applicable for us today.